It says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God in His very being, in His very nature, in His essence, at His very core is love. See, God is the source of love. And so whenever God speaks, it's out of a heart of love. Whenever God acts, it's always out of love. And even when God is silent, God is still acting out of love. And this is a tremendous blessing to us because at the heart of our humanity is the need to be loved. For some people, this is a hard concept to grasp because they didn't hear their parents when they were growing up, especially they didn't hear many of them, their fathers say to them, I love you. In fact, often they had to resign themselves to the fact that their parents, and again, especially their dads, were never going to say that. The best many young people ever heard was, well, you know I love you. I just don't say it. Yes, we want to hear these words, I love you, in life's special moments, when we do something really well, when we get high marks, when we win an award or win the big game or we score the most points, we get the winning hit. We want to hear those words when we graduate from high school or graduate from basic training or are honorably discharged or we graduate from college. These words are so important to us when we get engaged or we marry the person of our dreams. Yes, we want to hear those very three special words in life. I love you. We want that in the high points of life. But we also need them in the low points of our lives. When we are grieving, when we experience loss and heartache, when we have made mistakes, or misspoke, or misunderstood something, when we are simply not at our best. We need those reassuring words that we are loved. We also need to hear them on a regular basis through a variety of mediums. And of course, yes, the best way to hear them is always face to face, but you know, that isn't always possible. Because we can't be everywhere all the time. And so we need to share these things in a variety of mediums. So it's important to say I love you in cards, in notes, in a text, in an email, or during a phone call. And it's true, many parents are good at showing love, but they have a harder time expressing it in words. It's also true that we enjoy love that is shown to us. We enjoy that. But the greatest impact in our lives occurs when we both see love and we hear it. And sadly, many people growing up in our culture do not get to, to experience either of these expressions of love that I've just described for you. And sometimes they actually end up experiencing the opposite. They hear things like, you're such a pain, or I hate you, 
or I wish you had never been born. What does that do to a child's psyche when they're growing up? How is a child's self-esteem or self-worth going to be affected by such harsh, unloving language? In the dysfunctional family I grew up in where I was placed into the role of being the scapegoat who could never do anything right and who represented everything that was wrong with the family, I heard many, many, many times when my mother was upset with me about something I did or didn't do or something I said or that I wasn't doing something exactly the way uh, she wanted it done, I always was put in my place with these words. Well, you were just the result of a Saturday night beer drinking party. You were just the result of a Saturday night beer drinking party. And the translation, even to a very young child, was loud and clear. You were unplanned. Therefore, you are an unwanted child. That is why you are so worthless. You know, messages like these that I've just mentioned to you are hard to take. Children and grandchildren need to be loved. They desire to be wanted, to be prized, and to be valued, and not for what they do in life, just because they exist. Too often, though, love is only expressed if someone is the best, or the brightest, or the most athletic, or they're the best behaved, or they put in the greatest effort. Sadly, love is often hitched to something else instead of just loving a child because of who they are. Believe it or not, children can tell the difference. They know when they are truly being loved and when they are not. And you know, one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever received in my life both Cindy and I received it at the very same time, but I can't speak for her this morning uh, if this was her greatest compliment in her life or not. And actually, we haven't even talked about this, so I haven't asked her per, per se. I'm sure after this sermon, she'll ask me about it, and we'll talk about it. Uh, so I can't speak for her. But when we were early on in our ministry here, and our children were young, and they were just in their early uh, school years, we went away to a pastor's conference for four days. So a family, a neighborhood family of ours, who were in our church uh, watched our children. They took them to their house and they stayed overnight there. They got them up in the morning and fed them and got them on the school bus and packed their lunches and, and then got them off the bus at night and, and then helped them with their schoolwork and, and uh, you know, tucked them in at night and all those things. And when we came back after four days, they said to us, we can't believe how loving and appreciative your children are. And this meant to the world, to me, coming from the background that I came from. Let me say this. No parents are perfect. No matter how many or how good your parents were or how loving they may have been, all of them have made mistakes. Cindy and I have made our share of mistakes. But God, on the other hand, is a perfect parent. And for the believer, our experience with our Heavenly Father is a love-filled story from beginning to end. It begins, as Psalm 139 tells us, at conception in our mother's womb. In verses 13 and 14, it says, For you knit, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you 
for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. As I said here in April's newsletter, uh, my article that's on the front page there on this Palm Sunday, as we look forward to Passion Week that's before us, that our love-fueled relationship with our Heavenly Father begins in utero and it reaches its, its climax in the place where Jesus died on the cross for us. As John 3.16, our verse for today says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Please know there are four verbs in this very famous verse. And the first verb that's listed there for us is given to us in the Greek language in the aorist tense. That's the word loved, meaning that it's punctiliar, that there was a point in time that God showed His love for us. He put it on full display. Now remember, God is love. And He said, all right, I've loved you from, from the very beginning, but now I am going to show my love to you. You're going to see the love I have for you. I am sending my one and only son, Jesus, for you. Now this word here in John 3.16 for love is the Greek word agapesan. And we are actually more familiar with this word in its noun form. When it's the noun version of this word, it's agape meaning unconditional love. So God, who is love, in other words, Theos, who is agape. Theos, who is agape, sent Jesus to demonstrate his unconditional, no strings attached love to the world. Jesus, who is the only son, so there's no other option available. There's no other offering that's coming. There's no other offering that could be made. This is it, my one and only son. Now in this verse, this first verb, agape sin, being loved, is modified here by a adverb. In the Greek language, it's the adverb autos, so, which is strictly here for emphasis. Now this verse could actually read, for God loved the world. It could read that way. For God loved the world. Without adding the, the emphatic adverb, so. But why did God use such a potent little descriptor in a verse like this? Why did he use so? Why did he give one of the most definitive proclamations in the entire Bible of, of his love with such a little adverb? Why? Because God was trying to get through to us. See, God doesn't merely love us in some kind of contractual way, like the husband who signed the marriage license and hasn't told his wife that he loved her, that he loved her, has loved her since their wedding day. Well, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. No, God is not, his love is not a contractual love or some kind of obligatory love or a perfunctory love, one that is performed without any real interest, but he's just going through the motions, God's love is emphatic. God so loved you. God so loved me that he gave his only son, Jesus. God so loves us. Do you hear that? God values us that much. Would you give up your son for the world? 
You think about that. That's pretty remarkable. So when you think about it, the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross says more about you and me than all of the other hours uh, in human history put together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. God, God who is love. Remember, God who is agape. He loved, he agaped this unbelieving world so emphatically that he gave his only son, his one-of-a-kind son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. You know, when I first came to grips with the teaching of this verse in the Bible, it changed my life. I went from being told over and over again that I was just the result of a Saturday night drinking party to being someone who was so loved by God. I went from being a child of flawed earthly parents to being a child of God. No longer was my identity tied to the things of this earth. It was tied to God, and it felt so good inside to be told by God that I love you, son. You're mine, and you don't have to do anything to try to prove your worth to me. I love you so much. That's why I've given my son Jesus for you. So as a 16-year-old teenager, on January 21st, 1977, I accepted God's love for me, his plan for my life, and I have lived the rest of my entire life on this planet knowing that my identity in this world is as a child of God because I'm so loved. How about you? Have you come to that place in your life of knowing that you are so loved by God, yet he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin? Have you taken the step of whoever in John 3, 16? Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Please understand today that God's love for us is what drives that invitation for us to spend eternity with him, for us to have eternal life. You know, there's a wonderful parable in the Bible about God's love for us and about our need to turn our lives over to him, fully surrender our lives to God. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about a father who has two sons. And the younger son was clearly stuck on himself. He's full of himself and was feeling the need to do his own thing so he asks for his inheritance early so he could free, be free from his responsibilities and go out and see the world. Amazingly, the father let him do it. So the younger son counts up his cash, quits working for the father, heads off to a distant land with dreams of wild living and running his own life. Well, as accounts like this usually turn out, he ran out of money and undoubtedly he probably ran out of party friends when his money dried up, and they were all gone too probably. And when all of a sudden then a famine 
strikes the land. And the long and the short of the story is this young son ends up having to slop hogs, which couldn't be a worse job for an Israelite to be doing. He also saw that the pigs were eating better than he was. And he came to his senses. And he realized that his dad's servants were better off than he was. So dejected and demoralized, he headed home to return to his father. We read about this in Luke 15, verses 20 to 23. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This parable is known as the parable of the lost son. Or it's historically been known as the parable of the prodigal son. Now the older brother who's been faithful who's been there the whole time, who's been working diligently, hasn't squandered any of the family's estate or resources. He sees the celebration going on for this brother that's wasting his life, and he's upset because it's unfair. It's unjust. Our culture right now would say that's a social injustice, that the one who's wasted everything gets everything, and the one who's being responsible has more of his resources taken away. That's terrible. That's unfair. That's unjust. Look at verses, and on on face value, it, it seems like that. Let's look at verses 28 through 30. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This is unfair. This is unjust. But when you see this through the lens of the gospel, we begin to see this differently. The father didn't say that the party was going on because my son has gotten better. He said my son was dead but now he's alive. Look at verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. See, this is a picture of celebrate the celebration that's going on in heaven when one sinner like you, one sinner like me, comes to believe in God through his son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 10 earlier in chapter 15, uh, telling about the parable of the lost coin, but it's exactly the same message that's going on here, says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to listen today to the story of Ruth Graham that she shared at her father, Billy Graham's memorial service in the fall of 2018. She said, after 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong, and the rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it would be a good idea 
for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. And so I decided to live closer to my older sister and uh, her family and to be near a good church. The pastor of the church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children, though, did not like him. But I thought, you know, they're almost grown up anyway, and they didn't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let's, let us wait uh, to get to know this man. They had, but they'd never been single parents before. You know, they, they'd never been divorced. What did Billy Graham and Ruth Graham know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew that I had made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. But what was I going to do? I wanted so badly to talk to my mother and my father. And it was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, and women, you will understand this. You don't want to embarrass your father. And you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. And many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend to my father's driveway. And my father was standing there, waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and said, Welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. You know, when we come to God with our sin, when we come to God with our brokenness and our failure and our pain and our hurt, God says, welcome home. I love you so much. Won't you come in? Do you know what? That invitation is still open to every single one of us today. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, this is a holy moment right now. As we're at the front end of Holy Week, Passion Week. And we've learned today of your great love as a God of love for us that you so loved each and every one of us. God, I thank you for the healing balm that that message was to my own heart. And I know it is to so many. And God, today, while we're here in this holy moment, 
for those that are in person here and those listening online, I'm going to ask if they have not received, if any of you here have not received Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life, that you've not accepted that love, that you're not numbered among the whoever will believe in Him, I extend the invitation to you today that you do that right now at this moment. And I'm going to ask you, present here, if you're doing that at this moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, that you would lift your hand up at this time. And those that online watching too, I encourage you to lift your hand just to make this commitment. Whether there's anybody there watching or not, God knows. But if you are making that commitment today, please lift your hand right now. Anybody here? never made that decision before. God, we know that you're at work. There were many young people on Friday night that made the, uh, gave their lives to you. And we believe that there are people today that will give their life to you as well. We don't even know who might be listening online who may be doing it at this very moment. But God, we thank you for a love that is so incredible because you're a God of love. And you can change people's lives in the direction of their lives and the direction of their families for generations to come. And God, we praise you for that and that this Passion Week is all about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Praise be to God. Amen.